by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, and Vicar Daniel Golden. He is uh, finally starting to get his uh, feet uh, on the ground, and he's been doing a solo thing here for a while, and uh, it almost almost feels like he's the vicar. So uh, that's just kind of the kind of the retreading situation that we have. And so hopefully Nebraska's feeling a little bit like home for you and your family as well. I know uh, if you uh, follow the vicar on uh, uh, Twitter or uh, you know, the other stuff too. Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Facebook. Okay. Uh, I just heard on the radio today that uh, KNNA has an Insta- Instagram account. Did you know that? Over no, nobody knew that. That's one person on KN, from KNNA has an Instagram account. Uh, so uh, who knows what's on there? But uh, anyway, welcome to proclaiming the one. Each week we come together. We look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the twelfth Sunday after Trinity. The twelfth Sunday after Trinity, uh, Vicar. The introit are selected verses from Psalm 70. Would you uh, do us the honor and read those words, please? Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. We have, uh, Pastor, we have some uh, speed issues with uh, this particular introit, and uh, I want to address those first. Right off the bat, make haste, make haste. These are familiar words from our liturgy as well. And then the last line in our uh, introit, um, O Lord, do not delay. What's going on here, Pastor, with regard to this uh, speed, uh, hurry up, God? um, is, uh, is, Is this just an impatient people in the 21st century who can't stand to be at a stoplight for very long? Uh, This happened way before that. Make some sense out of that for us, would you please? Well, it is the prayer of faith, isn't it? Um, Whenever something difficult or challenging is happening, 
what we want is God to act and to solve the problem right away. And that's oftentimes our prayer, you know, uh, when we sit in the hospital or uh, when uh, a loved one is sick or dying or there's a challenge financially or whatever. When that's happening, we want God to solve it immediately on our terms at uh, our, our bidding. And God doesn't always work that way, but our prayers, it's not bad to ask him to do that. Um, if he so chooses, he could. And so that's what's going on here. The psalmist is saying, Lord, help me uh, right now. The problem is here right now. Come help me uh, make this situation better. And, and that's the prayer that, that they're praying. So <laughs> why would God not act quickly is... Uh is God being, is he tormenting us? Is he, uh, is he toying with us? Is he um, uh, treating us like a, uh, like a pet and uh, getting his jollies out of watching us or making us suffer? Uh, he, he knows everything, right? We confess that. He knows what we need before we need it. So why is God seemingly, from our perspective, so slow to do what God promises to do? Well, you just answered the question there with the things you said right before, that God knows what we need and what is for our best. And in fact, God knows that for every single person in the world. And in fact, he's working um, to bring about the salvation of as many people as possible in the world by moving around sinful uh, actions and deeds and people so that in the end as many are saved as possible. And so when God looks out there, he knows what you need. He gives it to you even if you don't understand it and uh, takes care of you even if you can't understand it. And he might be working through the suffering and challenges and difficulties uh, to bring about a good for you in the long run, in your salvation in the long run, uh, even if things aren't immediately as the way you want them. You don't know all things God does. And so uh, while we have this prayer here, make haste, O God, to deliver me, sometimes also it's important that we uh, pray the, the prayer of the center of the book of Lamentations it is good for one to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And that's oftentimes what we do. We still are praying, work right now, God. But we pray that knowing that it's good for us to wait and watch what God does and to bring things about in his own infinite wisdom and good timing. Vicar, it sounds like there's a little bit of a tension going on here. A tension between hurry up, God, hurry up, God, hurry up, God. And it is good to wait quietly and patiently for the Lord. Is, uh, is that a tension that uh, is, a, is a good thing, is a bad thing? What, uh, what, what should the Christian do when we are faced with these kind of paradoxes or tensions that so often come in the life of faith? Well, one who stays in the word will stay strong in faith, for faith comes from the word. So we know that our Lord God has a steadfast love for us, and steadfast love given to us in word and sacrament, which gives us faith. So we should, as a, as a living a godly life, a more holy life, stay steadfast in his word. Uh, we should, but we don't often do it. Not at all. Uh, and um, that that tension, that paradox is very, very real. And that's where we live with uh, most of our lives as Christians is in that, uh, I think sometimes it's referred to as a now and not yet, this, uh, 
this assurance that we have that our sins are forgiven, our names are written in the book of life, and yet here, before we get to heaven, the struggles are very real, the the pain, the sorrow, the loneliness. And I think uh, this short little psalm, Psalm 70, we have every verse but one uh, encapsulated in this very short uh, introit. This psalm really sums up very well the life of a Christian. When you were talking, Pastor, before about uh, how God knows my need, knows my need, knows my need, I couldn't help but think about the uh, children's hymn, I am Jesus' little lamb. And uh, he knows my need and well provides me. Uh, even calls me by my name. You know, that uh, sometimes it's that simple. Now, when I say it's simple, doesn't mean it's easy. This, uh, this tension, this paradox, uh, this seeming conflict is, uh, is not uh, easy to resolve. And I think part of it is because the enemies that we have are real. Second line, it says, let them be put to shame and confusion. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt who seek my life. Pastor, who is it that desires my hurt and seeks my life? Well, ultimately, um, the bottom line with that particular one is sin, death, and the power of the devil are the ones who want you uh, to forfeit your life in unfaith. And that can be manifest in any number of ways. It could be you know, different people encouraging you to skip church or to give up on God or uh, those who give you a false gospel in your time of need, you know, uh, don't worry, everything will be just fine because uh, you have a quartz necklace on and that'll focus the <laughs> energy of the sun into uh, healing powers in your heart or something. Oh. Oh. You, you have all sorts of different crazy things out there, but behind all of them is sin, death, and the power of the devil because Satan does not want you to be saved. He wants you to suffer the way he's going to suffer. He despises you. He hates you, and um, he loves nothing more than to see you go to hell. And so we're praying here that God would turn them back, um, and he, he would do so quickly uh, in our time of struggle and difficulty and pain and suffering. You know, when you were talking about sin, death, and power of the devil, I was thinking of uh, another way that that unholy trinity is um, talked about, and that would be the devil, the world, and my own sinful flesh. And I think, uh, I think both of those fit here. Sometimes when we're thinking about our enemy, we may have a specific person or a specific event in mind. Otherwise, it's just kind of the world in general. And whatever our situation is, the root cause or the, the main enemy is anything that's an enemy of God is an enemy against me as a follower of God. And the way to tell what that enemy of God is is um, to test it by does it match up with what God's word says or not. And so even when you are your own enemy against God, it's when you're telling yourself a word that does not match up with God. You know, he, he won't help me. I'm too sinful for him to help, or the thing I've done is too bad. Uh, when we're saying a, a sermon different than what God preaches in his holy word, that is when we're um, listening to that false false voice of sin, death, in the world, or my own sinful flesh. And, and that's where we need to trust in what God's word really, truly says. Um, and to hear that word and believe it is true for me, uh, not just uh, 
some sky in the pie sort of idea. And that's uh, that gets us back to what Vicker was uh, saying before. Uh, his answer was right. He just jumped the gun a little bit with regard to where we are in this uh, text. When we are attacked, when we are assailed, there is only one place to go, and that is to God and his word. It says, uh, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Vicar, does that mean that I should pray the sinner's prayer, go down for the altar call, give my heart to Jesus? Is that how I seek the Lord so that I can rejoice? What is God telling us to do when it says, may all who seek you rejoice? Seek what he has already revealed to you in his word. And with that, he gives you gifts freely, completely, the, the, one, the one and only grace of God that we do nothing for, and that's why we rejoice. To hear his word and receive his gifts. Pastor, that sounds an awful lot like going to church. It definitely is, and that's, in fact, what the point of a Sunday service is. Uh, everything that we do in divine services is designed to give you God's gifts where they promise to be. And this is maybe uh, to put a plug in for at home in your hymnal and uh, listen to that. I think we're starting our way through the uh, services and teaching about that. When we sing a hymn, it's based on God's Word. That gives you God's gifts. When we follow the liturgy, uh, that's all God's Word. It gives you His gifts. Sermons, baptism, Lord's Supper, all these things give you God's gifts according to His Word. Amen. And uh, the best place to hear that Word is in the divine service. So we need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the 12th Sunday after Trinity. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for tuning in. Each week we take a look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday to help you prepare, prepare your heart, prepare for your corporate worship time to assist you in your individual and family devotional time. And we pray that we would be a blessing for you as we hear, read, and consider the very Word of God. We want to take a look in this segment at the Gospel reading, Mark chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. Vicar, take it away. Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his finger into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, 
But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He has done all things well. That sounds like a a great little catchy sermon title, if one was to preach on that particular text. We've got a lot of stuff going on in this uh, text. The um, uh, problem, you know, in keeping with our theme that we came up with from Psalm 70, God knows my need and does something about it. And so we see that there is a great need here. Pastor, before we get into the actual miracle itself, um, you are our resident expert with regard to all things geographical uh, in the Holy Scriptures. So here in Mark 7, you know, when I hear Mark 7, you know, you hear chapters of Scripture. When I hear Mark 7, I always think about the, uh, the whole conversation of Corban, uh, which comes early in the chapter, and I believe it's in Mark 7 where it's talking about how um, the uh, the people would uh, would wash or set aside or baptize couches and chairs and tables. And so we go to ch- we go to Mark 7 often uh, for proof texting with regard to common errors that are in Scripture. Here toward the end of chapter 7, we have this Jesus uh, returning from the region of Tyre, going through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So where is Jesus at and why is Jesus there? Well, uh, Tyre and Sidon are two cities that are on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to the northwest of the Sea of Galilee. And so um, they're basically, if you are to, in your mind, have the Sea of Galilee on the map, um, Tyre and Sidon are above it and to the left, right? And the Decapolis is actually to the southeast of the Sea of Galilee. It's between the Yarmuk and the Yabbok River. And there's, I think, one or two cities uh, of the Decapolis that are actually on the west, or sorry, the the west side of the Jordan River, and the other eight are on the east side. And so uh, it makes sense that when Jesus is going from that area, Tyre and Sidon, that he's going to go around the Sea of Galilee to the Decapolis because the Sea of Galilee is right in the middle of there. And so it's just meaning he's going from the northwest to the southeast of the region of Galilee and passing by that area. And so in that regard, we once again see Scripture is very much um, accurate in its geographical descriptions of places, and therefore we can be reasonably certain, too, of its uh, validity on account of that as well. So is is, uh, this journey that Jesus is making here, is this a long journey? Is this a short journey? Is this area predominantly Jewish or uh, children of Israel kind of people or predominantly Gentile? Well, so um, Tyre and Sidon is primarily Gentile. And so that's where Jesus is. In fact, I think uh, earlier in Right before this in Mark 7, I think he uh, healed the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, And so Tyre... Same chapter, just a few verses before. uh, Tyre and Sidon would be the places of Syrophoenicia. Uh, And so that's there. The Sea of Galilee and the region right around there has uh, kind of a weird mixture. It does have a lot of Jewish communities. It also has a few non-Jewish communities. So, for example, Jesus 
was raised in Nazareth, which is just a few miles from Sepphoris. Nazareth is Jewish. Sepphoris uh, is actually a Roman colony, and so those two are right next to each other, and there's kind of an intermixing there. And he goes through to the region of the Decapolis, which is then, once again, primarily Gentile in its uh, uh, cultural mix. Uh, and so uh, it's kind of interesting that way. He passes through more Jewish area and goes once again to a place that's more Gentile rich. Jesus is preaching. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is healing. He's doing this out in the open. He's traveling far and wide. He is uh, preaching and teaching and healing uh, both Jew and Gentile alike. His, his mission is um, to bring the message that people are to repent before, because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is in their midst. The kingdom of God is in the flesh and blood of the God-man Jesus. And he's showing this by miracles, by his preaching, his teaching, and all this. And it's worth pointing out that Jesus is doing this work in Gentile areas, which is good news for us. Um, and this is a big issue in the church then later on in the, the time of the book of Acts when they're trying to decide, well, are we actually really going to go to the Gentiles or not? Well, Jesus already has gone to the Gentiles in several instances and preached and taught amongst them. And that's good news because the majority of our listeners to this particular radio station are probably Gentile in um, their heritage, not Jewish in their heritage. And Jesus comes for both groups. Amen, amen, amen. All right. So they brought to him a man who, had a, who was deaf and had a speech impediment impediment and they begged him to lay his hand on them pastor who is the they what is the reference to that pronoun they well that's a good question right because oh, that's because i asked it that's well, yeah. why it's a good question <laughs> oh is that how that works <laughs> the there's not a specific uh person it's not like you know a man came out of the uh, the city of Beth Shemesh, and they brought a man. Uh, but we do have this geographical inference that this is a person coming from the Decapolis region, which was uh, that area of 10 cities um, between the Yarmuk and the Yabuk rivers on the west side, mostly of the, sorry, the east side, mostly of the Jordan River. And so they're coming out there and uh, it's probably somebody from one of those communities or towns or villages uh, that is bringing out this person. And so it, it doesn't say explicitly, but we can make an educated guess to say this is probably somebody of Gentile descendancy. So we don't have a specific name. We don't even have a specific location. But if somebody brought... A person in need, remember God knows our need and does something about it. If somebody brought a person in need to Jesus and begs Jesus to heal them, Vicar, what can we deduce about the they with regard to their understanding or maybe even relationship with Jesus? What can we deduce from that? The they must have heard a report of the word getting out and the word getting out of Christ doing healing, and they must have had some sort of faith in it. And they um, had an alien faith that God does regard uh, when it comes to uh, doing the work, uh, doing 
doing the work through Christ. Yes, we, we don't know for sure if they understood that Jesus was God in the flesh, come to uh, sacrifice his life for the sin of the world. But we know somewhere along the line, they had to hear that this Jesus was roaming around doing miracles. And when you are at the end of your rope, when you have no hope left, you will turn to pretty much anything. Why, why do people uh, send in their publisher clearinghouse things? Uh, why do people fall for false uh, phone calls or advertising that happen? Uh, people are desperate. And when people are desperate, they do desperate things. And so I think it's fair to say that they heard about Jesus, they heard that he had done miracles, and they had already exhausted all other means uh, for their, their sick and disabled friend. We just as well give Jesus a chance because we've tried everything else. Pastor, is that a, is that a fair deduction, what uh, Vicar and I have been talking about here? Yeah, I think it definitely is uh, that they at least have a faith that says Jesus, I mean, it's just to put it at the very minimum, that Jesus is a healer of some kind. And uh, uh, beyond that is the fact of the reality of who he is, God in the flesh. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't say that. Is it possible? Sure, but... Um, we can't know that for sure. So just that Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a healer. They don't know if he's a holy man healer, if he is uh, filled with some kind of a spirit, whatever. But uh, I think that's a good way to say it, that they had heard and that they they believe, at least in part, that he is a healer. In the time that we have left, Pastor, what's the problem with this guy, their friend that they brought? It says he was deaf and had a speech impediment. Um, is that the same kind of deaf and speech impediment that we would think about today? Or uh, is there something else that we should know about? No, I think that uh, as far as we know, it is the same sort of thing that happens today where a person is um, born at least partially deaf, if not mostly deaf, deaf and uh, because of their deafness, they're unable to hear other people uh, form their uh, vocal sounds completely and totally. They might be able to get a good guess by watching lips and things like that, but uh, the the ability to make everything sound perfectly clear um, is not there. And so because of the deafness, there is a speech impediment that goes with that as well, where the person's words probably sound a little bit funny to our ears uh, because they've been unable to understand how to make them correctly. And if we think about that, <clears throat> there is a connection between hearing and speaking. We don't often think about this, but someone that is completely or mostly deaf has difficulty in speaking. They cannot speak because they cannot hear. These two are related. We need to take a short break, but when we come back from our break, we are going to examine this amazing miracle of Jesus recorded for us in Mark 7, 31 to 37, and we're going to expand more about the specific connection between hearing and speaking. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
Sundays at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska, the radio station uh, KNNA 95.7 LP is a great blessing for our congregation, for our community, and for the world. It's an opportunity to not only in this program, prepare ourselves for the divine service. We have many, many other programs, and I just encourage you to listen to the radio station, check out the archives, give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. We, uh, we work hard at striking a balance between our Lutheran religious programming, which is about 75% of what we do, and uh, our community broadcasting, and we really have some good, unique programming as well. So check us out, give us your feedback, and uh, if you uh, are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you come visit us here at Good Shepherd. We're in South Lincoln, 3825 Wildbriar Lane. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 10.30 with Sunday school for all ages in between. And uh, sort of a unique feature at Good Shepherd, we gather for worship every Wednesday throughout the year, 6.30 p.m. Please join us, tune in on the radio, on the internet, and uh, we pray that the Word of God that flows through our radio station would be a great blessing for you, for your family, and for the church throughout the world. We're looking at the gospel reading, Mark 7, 31 to 37. Pastor, a little sidebar here, if you don't mind. Um, you know, we've been doing this one-year series here at Good Shepherd for over a decade. And uh, every year that we do it, I love it even more. And we don't need to get into a one-year, three-year debate or anything like that. I know that uh, because of your great love for the... Uh, uh, ancient, beautiful music of Bach and uh, the things surrounding Bach, uh, which is built around the one-year series. I know where you stand with regard to that, too. Have you ever noticed that the gospel of Mark seems to come up almost a disproportionate amount of times when people are thinking about the four gospels? If you ask somebody, what is your favorite gospel out of the four gospels? Nobody ever says Mark. Um, have you noticed that Mark uh, comes up quite a bit in uh, in the one year series readings? I, I just just an observation. Well, yeah, it, it definitely does, um, and I think that's beneficial. In fact, I think what the one year series does is it makes sure it gets the highlights of each of the four gospels and brings them forward. Whereas um, I think Mark sometimes gets lost in the three-year series, uh, competing, I think, with John in that, that particular year. And so it's kind of good to have Mark a little bit more directly and more often in that regard. And Mark is a fun gospel <coughs> to read, too, because uh, everything is happening very, very quickly. Everything is immediately boom, boom, boom. And then there are some times when Mark slows down and you get all these details in Mark that are nowhere to be found in any of the other Gospels. And so it is, uh, it's really a fun, it's really a unique Gospel. Recently we celebrated the uh, minor festival of the martyrdom of John the Baptist. 
And that's one of those classic examples, too, where the details of uh, Herod and Salome's dance and all that, that's not recorded for us anywhere else except in the Gospel of Mark. So uh, enough of that. We need to get back to our text. We have uh, Jesus. He's uh, making the journey from uh, way up north to way down south. We have some people who heard about Jesus. They bring out a friend who is deaf and a speech impediment. And Jesus, they beg Jesus to touch him, to lay, uh, lay his hand on them. And taking him aside from the crowd privately. I think that's an important clue for us here. He does this privately. Jesus put his finger. Oh, wait a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this question here. He put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, work on that word, vicar. Ephatha, that is, be opened. So, there is always some confusion. Does Jesus take his fingers and stick them into his own ears? Like, hey, hey, you can't hear. I'm going to help you out. And then um, after touching, uh, after spitting, touched his tongue, does he uh, spit and then touch his own tongue and say, hey, I'm going to help you talk? Or... Does Jesus take his fingers and stick them in the man's ears and then spit and then touch Jesus' finger on the man's tongue? Do we have a clear word from the scriptures on exactly how Jesus does this? And does it matter? Um, no. In the Greek, both of them, um, the words his are always autu. So the ears of him, uh, the fingers of him, the tongue of him. And so because of the way that particular language works, there's not really a way to tell which way things are happening. And it could be either one. Now, there is kind of an idea when you read it um, and you, you study it, you kind of get the idea of how it probably looked and worked. And you can, maybe everybody has a little bit different in that regard. Um, we don't know for sure. We can make educated guesses, um, but we, we can't tell for sure. Does it matter? It doesn't matter. Uh, probably ultimately, I'd say um, the thing that you want to make sure you understand behind the whole thing is that Jesus is doing the work of healing, and that part is clear. Jesus makes the man able to hear and takes away the speech impediment as a result, and that is God's work, not the man's work. The man isn't doing anything to get this uh, forgiveness of sins or this salvation. I think many people, because earlier in the text, the friends, the they, beg Jesus to touch their friend and heal him. I think many people assume that since that was their request, that Jesus touches the man's ears and touches the man's tongue, although we don't know that for sure. And because of the context, I think that's a safe assumption to make, but I wouldn't wouldn't stake the whole uh, the whole kitten caboodle on that point, but I think that's a safe assumption to make. Yeah, and when I was a kid in Sunday school class, that's how the picture that I colored was, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, it's not uh, – the only reason I bring it up here is I don't want people to get the false impression that um, – 
one way or the other is the absolute correct way and that there's some mistake in Scripture or anything like that. That's not even the main point of how Jesus does the miracle. He touches, he spits, and then what does he do next, Vicar? What does he do next? He speaks the word. He speaks the word. Pastor, we have God speaking the word and bringing all things into existence in Genesis 1 and 2. We have God speaking the word and creating or performing miracles. We have God speaking the word throughout Scripture, and big, big, big things happen. Connect as many of those dots. I know we got an hour's worth of dots we could connect. Connect for our hearers the importance of Jesus speaking this word, Ephatha, um, be opened, and at the speaking of the word, the man is healed. Well, uh, everything God does for us, he chooses to do through his word, from creation to salvation to even calling, gathering, enlightening, and sanctifying the entire church on earth. Uh, baptism is not just plain water. It's the word of God attached to the water. Uh, the Lord's Supper is not just bread and wine. It is the word of God that makes that bread and wine have Christ's body and blood truly and really present there within. And so God always is working salvation and on our behalf for our good through the power of his word. Uh, I think that's part of this uh, as well. That's the reason that it's so important that this man start to hear is so that he can hear the word and believe in God as a result. Um, now, I think it's important to mention, too, the word ephatha is in the aorist passive vo uh, conjugation in the, the Greek language. Okay, now, none of our hearers have any clue as to what that means or why they yep. should care. I'm, so. I'm about to explain. Okay. Uh, aorist passive, which means it's just plain bones reporting, but it is something that's being done to the man. It's not that um, he's choosing to open his ears or that seeing Jesus there, he invites Jesus to come into his ear canal and open his ears or something like that. And it's not the touching or the tongue spitting or any of that stuff that has caused this miracle to come about. But when God's word says, you're going to be opened now, the thing that God says happens immediately. In other words, whatever God says, that happens uh, all all the time. Anytime God speaks, that's the reality. So it's the same as in uh, the beginning when God said, let there be light, there was. When God says to this man's ears, be opened, they are. When God says to you, listening, your sins are forgiven, they are. And that's just the reality. It happened to the person or to the, the situation based upon what God's word says. So everything hinges on the reality of God's word and what it says. And it is a performative word. It always does what it says. So uh, the power of God's word be opened. Uh, I've often heard it said that God says what he does and does what he says. And I think that's a, uh, that's a very, very important thing for us to remember. Um, Jesus speaks. 
big things happen. His ears were opened and his tongue was released. And then to me, what is the biggest miracle of all, he spoke plainly. He spoke plainly. Uh, It's kind of like that miracle of the uh, children of Israel that wandered for 40 years and their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out. Boy, that's a miracle that we just kind of take for granted, isn't it? Um, how many times when, when someone you know, gets hearing aids or uh, all of a sudden they can hear, they have to still go to speech therapy. They have to go and uh, have some, some uh, schooling or whatever. And this is just immediate. And I think this teaches us the power of God's word. God speaks, big things happen. And uh, this is, uh, you said, aorist passive? This is an aorist passive um, command, uh, maybe is the, way, the word I should use. So aorist just means he's just reporting what happened. Passive means the action is being done to the one who's hearing the word. And the command thing means uh, Jesus didn't say to the ear, be opened if you want to be. He said, do it now. And yes, it did. Uh, that, that imperative action. And uh, the ears had no other choice, did they? That's the, exactly correct. The guy who created the ears says, okay, start working. And uh, we need to take a short break. When we come back, we believe it or not, we still got a lot of talking to do with uh, regard to this gospel reading from Mark 7. We need to take a break. Proclaiming the one. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week, we take a look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday morning worship. Today, we're looking at the readings for the 12th Sunday after Trinity. In segment one, we looked at our introit, uh, the bulk of Psalm 70. In Segment two, we did an introduction to our gospel reading, Mark 7, 31 to 37. We continued on with that in our third segment, and we didn't quite get finished yet. We still got a little more, uh, as Pastor Kuhlman would say, a little more meat on that bone. And so we want to go back to Mark 7, 31 to 37. And uh, it's been a little while, Vicar. Do you want to read those words again and get them fresh in everyone's mind? Sure. From, t- uh, from the top. Yes. Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. 
But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Uh, we need to we need to address something here, and I know this is not your favorite topic, Pastor. But uh, we need to address something because whenever you are in the Gospel of Mark, quite often you are confronted with what scholars have dubbed the Markan secret. The Markan secret, and it's not nearly as ominous as it sounds. Uh, there are a lot of times in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus does something big, and then after he does something big, he tells the people to keep quiet about it. Now, this is not exclusive to Mark. It happens in the other Gospels as well. It just doesn't happen with the same amount of frequency. And so scholars looking at this have called this uh, particular unique feature of the Gospel of Mark the Markan secret. And here we have it. Jesus performs a huge miracle. He performs a miracle of healing. He heals a man who is deaf and mute. His hearing comes back and his speech comes back perfectly. And then in verse 36, Jesus charged them, to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. So verse 36 would be a classic example of what scholars would call the Markan secret. Um, your thoughts and observations, Pastor, and you know, my experience is, is that when scholars tend to dwell a lot on a particular topic, it's probably because they don't want to really deal with Jesus, the God-man, crucified and risen for forgiveness, life, and salvation, and they want to major in the minors. Is that a little bit of what's going on here, or is there something more? Yeah, I think it's, it is an odd thing to emphasize as often as Mark does. You know what I mean? But it's there, and, and so it is God's Word, and we... We are happy to have God's word as it is. We don't get to decide what's in it and not. We're not Thomas Jefferson here uh, deleting parts of our Bible. And so it's there. And so the question then has to be, what do we do with it? And it is interesting in the way that it works, especially this particular gospel lesson, because how did the friends, they, that uh, Vicar and you were talking about earlier, how did they hear about Jesus to know enough to bring their friend to him? The word is spreading around all over that Jesus is a healer of some kind and a preacher and a teacher. Uh, Jesus begs them not to say anything. Uh, and that's uh, then in verse 36, Jesus charged them not to tell anyone, uh, to tell no one what's going on. Uh, and yet then the next verse doesn't use the same word. Uh, it uses the word keruso. Uh, the more that he told them not to, the more they preached it. And even here in our, our scripture, it's uh, translated as proclaimed, which I'd say would be more the angelo word. Uh, but this is uh, keruso, which is the same word for preaching and teaching. And so it is interesting the way that it works, and I'm sure there's more to it than that. Um, I just haven't quite wrapped my brain around. I think Christ is begging them not to speak this word because the time is not there for him to be arrested and crucified and killed. Uh, but as Jesus tells them not to speak about it, they preach it. They proclaim it. 
they go out and uh, preaching, of course, is being a authoritative speaking about the salvation that is found in Christ Jesus. And that's what they're going out and telling people. So it's an interesting thing. It's a little odd in the way that it's worded and put together. And yet it's God's word. And so we have to study it and learn about it and try and figure out uh, how it applies to us. And it is, uh, it is a unique feature in Mark, but uh, remembering back to the very first verse of the Gospel of Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark concerning, uh, let me get the exact verses, uh, exact words here in Mark 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the reason and the purpose for what's going on here. And I think that's clearly displayed in what's happening as well. Uh, no miracle man, no miracle worker could do this miracle that Jesus performed. This is a testimony that Jesus is who he claims to be, God in the flesh. And uh, something that may be helpful for you, Vicar, in your preaching and teaching uh, throughout the rest of your life is that every miracle... And, uh, you know, uh, we got to be careful that we don't allegorize the miracles. The, the details that are here are the details that we deal with. Uh, can they be applied in other ways? Absolutely. But every miracle in some way, shape, or form testifies that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the Son of God. No human being, no mere human could do it. And every miracle points forward to the mother of all miracles— which is Easter Sunday, Jesus risen from the dead. Pastor? Maybe there's something to be said, and that's part of what's going on here in Mark's gospel, is that while miracles testify to the reality of who Jesus is, one does not come to faith by observing a miracle. In fact, when people see miracles, they're usually confused or bewildered or amazed and things like that. And what is the thing that actually creates faith in the face of these things? It's the preaching of God's word, which then perhaps is why Jesus says, don't tell anyone, and they go out and they preach it all the more. Faith is not coming because he's healed this man who is deaf and unable to speak clearly. Faith comes because people are preaching that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And maybe there's something to be said there. Well, I, we'd have to do more study. No, I think, I think, you're, uh, I think you're heading down the right path. And uh, I did a teaser earlier, but we didn't really talk about it in great detail. There is a connection between hearing the Word of God and speaking. We talked about it on a very base level with regard to the deaf-mute here. He couldn't hear, and so he couldn't speak. And when Jesus speaks the word, Ephatha, Ephatha, work on that, Vicar, before Sunday. Uh, Ephatha, be opened. Jesus preaches to his ears, and they obey. And they obey. I also think that it's a... Uh, uh, pretty cool when I said uh, every every uh, miracle testifies or gives us a preview of the mother of all miracles, Easter, what happened to the, to the stone in front of the tomb on Easter morning? It was opened. Be opened. Uh, what happened to the dead Lazarus in uh, John chapter 11? Uh, Lazarus, come forth. You know, Jesus speaks. Boom. And so we have this uh, precursor there. But... Uh, the is there a difference between 
telling people the historic details of this miracle or the preaching and the proclaiming that Jesus, the Son of God, performed this miracle. And I think that's kind of the, the, the place where you're, where you're heading down. Is that, uh, am well, I reading yeah, that right? because there are two different words there. Jesus tells them not to say anything. Lego is the word that's used there, just plain, everyday talking, speech. Um, the word then that they go out and they do is they keruso, they, they preach, uh, and just like a pastor would from a pulpit. And so there is something to be said there. There's got to be a connection in that regard. Working out what that is exactly, I'm not quite 100% there yet. Uh, interesting, too, who is the one that's going out and doing the preaching then afterwards? They, right? And who's that mean? That same they that we talked about at the very, very beginning, That those unnamed people from that unnamed town, and that carries on even to this very day. And maybe there's something to be said for that about uh, pastors and their particular job duty. Uh, pastors need to be uh, replaceable, right? Uh, in 100 years, hopefully nobody remembers Moline or Poppy as, you know, um, really the, the reason that there's a church somewhere. Rather, hopefully they look to Jesus and we can just be lurking in the background as the people who were the instrument through which the word is proclaimed, but not actually the Savior or uh, getting in the way of Christ. A picture and a plaque that nobody looks at. Right. Uh, last verse, Pastor, in the time that we have left. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, and this is the people who are doing the preaching, the proclaiming, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. If you are preaching that Jesus has done all things well, if you are preaching that he makes the deaf hear and the mute speak, especially in light of the Old Testament prophecies, like our Old Testament reading for today that we didn't get to from Isaiah 29, what are you preaching about the person Jesus Christ? Well, here you'd wonder, God said, let there be light, and he looked at the light and said, it is good. And now Jesus says, be open. And these people look at what he's done, and they say he's done all things good. Um, you have to wonder if this isn't a confession of faith that Jesus is the God of creation, um, that there must be something there. Now, maybe that's a stretch, but I think it's, it's got to be a part of that understanding that he's done all things well. And, and who in uh, the Old Testament, who is the one who is going to uh, heal the lame and the blind and the, uh, the mute? Who is the one that is going to calm the storms? Who is the one? The Messiah, the Savior of the world. So at the very least, they are proclaiming, come and see this guy who does all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Come and see for yourself. And isn't that really, we just heard a paper about this not very long ago, what evangelism is, is inviting people to see Jesus. It doesn't need to be any more than that. It doesn't need to be, you know, uh, faith conversations in a digital age. We just got this in the Lutheran Hour newspaper. It's, it's ridiculous. All we need to do is say, look at Jesus, right? Sir, we, we want to see Jesus and let uh, get out of the way of that. John chapter 2, sir, we would see Jesus. Uh, Vicar, would you bring all this to a close with uh, praying the collect of the day, please? Almighty and merciful God, 
by your gift alone, your faithful people render true and laudable service. Help us steadfastly to live in this life according to your promises, and finally attain your heavenly glory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Golden, I am Pastor Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. Sunday morning when you get up, read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, and go to church. See you next week. God's richest blessings in Christ. <laughs>